0: To John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8. We're continuing our series in the book of um, John. If you've missed any of them over time, please go onto our website. They're all on there. Um, you can catch up with those um, and find out where we've been going. We're hoping to preach through the entire of John's gospel um, this year. A few years ago, um, Melanie and I went on a tr- we were on a way on holiday, and we went on one of these um, kind of day trips out. And we were in the pig district, and we went down um, to a place called Blue John Cavern. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's uh, what? Blue John Cavern in the, the pig district, and it's basically an old mine that's now disused, but was used many hundreds of years ago, and they, they mined this crystal called Blue John. And we went down um, the cavern, and they showed us around, and it was all very interesting. You go deep, deep underground. And they show this is where the miners were, and this is how they worked, and this is where they mined the crystal, and here's some of the tools they had, and it's all very fascinating. And you kind of felt yourself going deeper and deeper underground, and you could feel that kind of sense of pressness of all the millions of tons of earth and rock above your head. And a guide with us who had been really good. He said, I just want to do something with you, just to give you an idea of the, um, the challenges that the miners worked in many hundreds of years ago. We've got modern equipment now, but back then it was a lot different. Going to turn out the lights, which they had these big electric lights and cables running around the walls to light the way. And so we are all staying in the bottom. He said, We said, what you've got to do is just don't move, just stand there. And what he did was he, uh, he then turned out the light, and a darkness so complete came over us, it was just terrifying. And he said, he said Take your hand and put it in front of your face. And so I did. Um, but I couldn't see my hand. He said, wave your hand back and forth, Uh, and so I did that, and all I could feel was the air passing over my hand. And he said, what you're in now is something called 0% light, which means that your eyes will never adjust. There's not enough light. You will never see. There's no ambient light. There's nothing, and you're never going to see anything down here. And then he lit a match, and suddenly, once he'd lit this match, we could see everything. It all got lit up. We could see him. We could see each other. We could see the way out uh, and uh, he said, "The light in this—this this light in the darkness will, will guide you out, even when anything else uh, you couldn't see." And what we're going to be um, looking at today is Jesus' claim, as we get in John's gospel, to be the light of the world. Jesus, is the light of the world, he is the light in the darkness. That's the way that John's gospel. Sort of outlies it. And the big idea is what we're going to do that day is you need to look at Jesus to understand everything else. He's the light that we look at. And if you look at that light, you get bearing and reference on everything else. So just like when I was down at the bottom of that cavern and I could see a light, suddenly I knew where I was going. I knew the way out. I knew the guy who could lead me out because he was the guide and he knew the way. And without that, I was without hope. I was, you know, I was lost. And so if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 8 and we're going to carry on reading uh, from uh, verse 12. And what we've got is quite a big section. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. I'm going to read it now, and then we're going to start picking out um, a few bits from it. So verse 12, it says, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees says to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. bears witness about me. I am the one who... Oh, sorry. They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said... Will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to him, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say um, about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. Who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you will say we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, the man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing, you're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear me is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as the prophets did. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I did not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do not know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, a long passage there, a lot going on. Let's go through this. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. We looked at that in the previous um, two times we've been to John. There was the, the kind of the interjection bit where the woman was brought in adultery. We looked at that last time, the time before that was the first part of chapter 7 where Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And there were two, it was an eight day long feast and there were two kind of themes by tradition that came out in the feast. The first one was the theme of water which we looked at last time where Jesus said, you know, come to me and out of of your heart streams of living water will flow. And he, he pointed to himself saying, I'm the one who gives that. I'll, I'll bring the Holy Spirit on you. The second theme of the Feast of Tabernacles was the, the, the theme of light. And the way it worked on the feast in Jerusalem in the temple, there were four huge um, kind of candelabras, great big um, lamps that were 75 feet high, which I worked out is about 13 of me. They were that big. And on the top of them, there were these four Kind of um, bowls, and what they used to do is they used to, they used to put a ladder against them and send someone up with there with a ten-gallon jug to pour oil into the bowls, and then they would light them. So there would be four lap- lamp stands with four bowls on each one, so that's sixteen in the temple courts, blazing away during the festival. And because the um, the temple was on a hill in Jerusalem, the lights would have illuminated the city. It wouldn't have just been the Temple Mount, it would have blazed over the city. They were that tall, you could have literally seen them from anywhere in the city. These lights, this fire blazing on the Temple Mount uh, for the whole city of Jerusalem to see. And into that context, Jesus stands up and speaks. And there's these lights going, and you can imagine it being kind of, it's getting dark, or it's dark at the time, and they're all up there, and these lights are going, and Jesus stands up, I and the light of the world. And the contrast between this natural light that is being formed around, that is illuminating everything, and into that Jesus speaks. And for John in his gospel, he he, writes at the beginning, he dropped the hint, this is coming, because if we go back to 1 verse 4, it says, uh, when the word became flesh, dwelt among us, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So Jesus is kind of, John's working out, I'm dropping this through, and then it's coming to this culmination. He's going to say, I am. It's his second I am statement. In John, we've had I am the bread of life. He's now saying, I am the light of the world. And for those who are listening, the good Jews who are there at the festival, for Jesus himself, they would have known what he was talking about because they would have known their Old Testament. They would have known the imagery of God throughout the Old Testament where God is portrayed as light. We can go back to Exodus 3 where God appeared to Moses And what did he he appear in? He appeared in a bush that was burning. It was light. It was fire. God spoke out of that to Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. Then when the Israelites left Egypt, what happened? They they, they went out into the wilderness and they followed a pillar of cloud during the day and then the night was what? A pillar of fire. It was a pillar of fire that they followed. It signified the presence of God amongst them. But it wasn't just the presence of God. When they came to the Red Sea and it was like, uh-oh, there's sea here. There's Pharaoh and his army behind us. We're, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. We're going to die. What happened? The pillar of fire went in front of the people before the, um, the coming army and protected them. So the, the fire, the light in the Old Testament wasn't just the presence of God, it was the protection of God on his people. It wasn't just about that, it was also represented the worship of God. It says in Psalm 27 that good all good Jews were taught to sing. It was, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because the God, Lord is with me, he will protect me, we will worship him. It's also, light represents the, the guidance of God. Psalm 119, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's the guidance of God as well. It also represents God's revelation. If you go through the book of Ezekiel, there's the light of God bringing revelation to the prophet, telling him of things to come. So there's God's revelation and there's also salvation as well in Isaiah 49. It says, I will make your light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the world. So this Imagery of light throughout the Old Testament represented God, represented his God, what his character, his nature, what he was doing and Jesus now stands up in the midst of these big lamps in this festival, blazing away, I am the light of the world. This was a huge claim, he was putting himself right up there with God. He was saying, you've got to come to me, I'm the one, I'm the light, there are lights here you can see. But I'm the one. I'm the one you should be looking at. I'm the one you should be coming to. And it immediately goes on there in verse 3. It says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Again, echoing what John put at the beginning of his gospel. If you're not following me, Jesus is saying, you're in darkness. You don't know where you're going. Like me down the bottom of that cavern. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know which way to turn. I couldn't see what was in front of me. He said, well, that's what it's like if you don't follow me. I'm the light, the one you should be coming after. And what I want to look at this passage now is four things that the light of Jesus shows us, four things that we can learn from this um, about Jesus. Number one, for those who are taking notes, Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. That's what the light shows us. Um, there are many uh, kind of theories and practices about how we get to heaven. There are many um, kind of paths you could follow. There's even a, a common thought that if you want to get to heaven, you want to get to God, all religions are different paths up the same mountain. But ultimately, they all get to the, they all get to the top. They all get to heaven. The, the irony of that is that the, many of them totally disagree on fundamental things but they say there's lots of different ways you can get to heaven you can you can follow this spiritual path or this spiritual path or this self-help method or this one and it will get you to a better place a better life even for those who um in our secular western society aren't god-fearers don't uh, claim to be follow god they they try and think okay there might not be a heaven out there but they definitely try and bring heaven to earth they try and make it better they try and live a life where, okay, if we accumulate more stuff, we have a better house, a better job, we go on better holidays, uh, we're healthy and strong, kind of heaven comes to earth. We can, we can live the best we can right now. We, we want to get to that place. For those, there are those who, who, who give their life to political causes, trying to make it better. If we can make the world better, everything will be all right. They go to the eco-causes, global warming, green issues, maybe we can make this world a better place, rights for for animals, all these kind of things. They're they're trying to bring heaven down to earth, and into that, Jesus says, actually, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to get to that better place, if you want to make this world better, because the reality is everybody knows there's something wrong with the world. You just have to turn on your television, don't you? Look at the news. There's, There's something wrong, something broken, and we're trying to trying to get over that, trying to make it better. And Jesus said, if you want to get to that better place, you've got to come through me. You've got to come through me. You can't bring it down to earth. You can't earn it in other ways by being good or following different parts. It only comes through me. And Jesus makes that claim because he says, he, says I, he was divine in origin. He, he wasn't just a guy. Some people say, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher. No, no, he claimed to be divine in origin. He says in verse 23, I am from above. <laughs> The heavenly places where God dwells. You're from below, he says to the Pharisees. There's a definite difference there. It says in verse 21, where I go, you can't come. I'm going somewhere. You can't come there because you're not from that place. We go back to the beginning of John. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's that... Jesus was with God, he was outside, he was the creator, he was before, he's other, he's divine in his essence, he's eternal, he is different from everyone else. There is a difference between the heavenly realm of God and the worldly realm of rebellious man who are who are set opposed to having a God. And John says that the word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, he entered in to our world as part of that. And Jesus is making that claim, actually, I'm, I'm from above, I'm from that place, so I am I, am, I have the authority to talk about it because I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, and Jesus' teaching, if you track it through John's Gospel, was all about this theme. He talked about um, you must be born again, John chapter 3. If you want to enter that kingdom, my kingdom, kingdom of God, you must be born again. There's no other, other way about it. You've got to be done. He said to the woman in... Um, Chapter 4, the, the woman he met in Samaria at the well, he said, actually, you're looking for water that you'll drink and you know, you'll get thirsty again. But the he says, I'll give you water where you're never going to thirst again. And she was like, give me that water. I need something more than this life. And because Jesus is, is from heaven, he can, I can give that to you. I can honor that with you. And so Jesus is saying, I, I know the way to heaven because I've been there. I'm from there. I can point to it. And he says, well, how, how do you get there? He says in verse 28, he says, the son of man is to be lifted up. That's how we're going to get there. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up. What does that mean? That's a a direct reference to the cross of Christ. We know as we're going through John we're going to track it all. We get to the end, chapters 19, 20, Jesus is going to the cross. He knows it. He tells people. The the disciples sometimes miss it. They don't quite understand it. They can't get their heads around it. But he's saying even then to these Pharisees, the enemies, he says, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm gonna be lifted up, I'm going to die. And that's gonna be the way that people will get to me. That's the way people will get to heaven through me. That's the way I'm gonna deal with the problem of this earth, which is our rebellion towards God. The Bible just calls that sin. And the big overarching story of the Bible, the meta-narrative, if you will, as they call the big story, could be summed up in four words. It's the creation. God created everything, it was good, Genesis chapter one and two. It all goes wrong, Genesis chapter three, the fall. They call that where the Adam and Eve rebel against God and everything is broken from that point every relationship our relationship with God our relationship with one another our relationship with the the world around us everything is shattered at that point then you have the rest of the bible from Genesis 4 all the way up to Revelation 19 is basically God trying to bring man back to himself reconciliation bring man back to himself, reconcile that relationship. And then the last bit at the end of the Bible, chapter, uh, Revelation 20 and 21, is um, consummation where everything comes together. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and, we, and the people of God will be with God forever. And Jesus said, I've come to sort the problem out. And the way I'm going to sort the problem out is I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to die in your place for your sins. The, the punishment you deserve, for the rebellion you have against God, the fact that you can't even live up to your own standards, let alone God's standards. You know you're all full short. Sure I'm going to die in that place and I'm going to take the sin that you deserved. And it says in verse 30 that as a result of that, many believed in him. Many of them believed in what he was saying there, what he was preaching um, in the temple. And my kind of challenge for us today in looking about the ways of heaven, if you're not a believer here and you don't know kind of Jesus, you don't follow Jesus, my, my um, plea to you today is explore those claims. There's no one like Jesus, absolutely no one. The claims he made about himself are completely unique. They are. He pointed to himself in his teaching, he said he was the only way. And the only way out of the situation you're in, the face, the wrath of God for the things you've done, is through Christ, through his cross, through faith and trust in him. And I'd love to talk to you about you at the end if you want to know a little bit more about that. If you are a believer here, my challenge to you today is how are you living your life where the cross is remaining in focus? Because that's where it all comes back to, Jesus' cross, his death and his subsequent resurrection. That's what our faith's about. What are you doing in your life to keep the cross big? Because I heard a preacher once say, and it, it struck me, and I've remembered it ever since. He said, if the cross is too small in your life, rest assured, you are at fault. I was like, what? He says, you're at fault. You're the one who's moved. So my challenge to you is, what are you doing to make the cross big in your life? So the cross is at the center. I encourage you, if you've not read the Gospels recently, read just the end bits of four Gospels. We've got, we're we going to get through John eventually. There's three others you can choose from. Read those bits about Jesus' death on the cross. Get it back in the center of your life um, so you're focused on that. All right, number two. Jesus is the way to freedom. Jesus is the way to freedom. Uh, I don't know what you think about our country that we live in now. You know, the Western society we're a part of, but I think generally speaking, it's fair to say we live in a free, inverted commas, country. We live in a free country. I remember when I was growing up and people you were know, doing things and saying things, and one of the phrases that kept coming around was free country. I can do what I want, free country. And I think that's fairly you know, standard in our society. We, we have uh, uh, laws that can protect us. We don't have to, to do certain things, say certain things. We have rights as workers. We have... You know, employment rights, civil rights, human rights. We've got a, a law enforcement that can punishes the wrongdoers, can protect us at the same time. There is, general, there is a general freedom. If we compare it to authoritarian regimes around the world and look at the oppression there, we can reflect on us and think, actually, we don't live in a society like that. We're, we're, quite, we're free, and that's a, there's something to enjoy and rejoice in that, the grace of God in that situation. Um, but Jesus is saying that's a false freedom. So that's actually a false freedom. You can, you can listen to that and think that and actually be suckered into thinking everything's fine. We're free. It's all okay. And if you've ever seen uh, The Matrix, you've seen The Matrix Trilogy, um, which was, um, came out a few years ago. The first one was good. They go downhill after that. So if you've not seen them, maybe watch the first one. Um, but there's, a, there's the hero there. There's a guy called Neo, played by uh, Keanu Reeves, and he meets a guy called Morpheus, uh, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And, and they're having a chat, and Neo is trying to kind of, he's a computer dude, and he's trying to work something out. And Neo appears in his life uh, and tries to explain what's going on, the fact that Neo lives in this computer-generated world, and he doesn't even realize it. It's kind of the, the matrix, they call it. You live in this world, and you don't even realize it. And, and Morpheus says this to Neo, which is quite telling. He says, he says, you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch, a prison for your mind. And you kind of watch that, and you think, man, someone put their finger on the button there. And for the story, it's Neo's in this kind of computer-generated world that Morpheus leads him out of it. And he's the chosen one. Lots of messianic imagery and da Watch the films if you want to see where that goes. But what Jesus would say in the same situation, he says, you're not free. You're slaves. But you're not slaves to a computer-generated construct that you live in. You're slaves to sin, verse 34, he says quite clear. You are... Our slaves to sin. If you look in Romans 6, Paul, the apostle Paul, kind of expands on this idea and explains it in more detail. And he says, like Neo, you are in bondage, but you're in bondage to sin, which is your moral failures and your rebellion against a holy and pure God. The, the reality is that God created man, they rebelled against him, and instead of worshipping the creator, we worship the created. Instead of worshipping the one who made everything, we worship the stuff. We take good things and we make them God things. We take things like money and, and uh, power and, and sex and work and family and stuff that we can make and enjoy and we put them we elevate them above god they become suddenly the things we worship they become the things that we chase after they become the things that are the most important in our life that are most ultimate and worse still it says we're, we're blind to that we don't even realize that we're in bondage until it's revealed to us and jesus uses a picture to the guys he's talking to saying just trying to explain it. he's saying guys you're like slaves in a household." You're like the slaves who work in the house. And I'm like, I'm the son of the house. I'm the son, so I'm not a slave. I have the rights for son. You're the slaves. And, but what the son can do is the son can free you. Slaves have no rights and ultimately they don't belong in the house. They're going to go out. He says, but I'm the son. I'm the son of this house. I'm the son. And I can set you free. And if I set you free, you're not just free. It says you're free indeed. So the son can set you free. You can be free from the consequences of sin. You can be free from the enslavement of sin. You can be free from the bondage of sin if you come to me. I'm the one who can set you free. And Jesus says you're going to be set free by knowing the truth. He says you're going to know the truth and then the truth will set you free. The truth is contained in God's word. For Jesus speaking, it would have been his own words plus the Old Testament that would have already been written by them. For us, we have the Old and the New Testament brought together as the word of God for us. And he's saying in this truth, you can be free. It ultimately starts, obviously, with knowing Jesus, repenting of your sins, coming to faith and trusting. But there is an ongoing life we live of learning the Word, knowing the truth, and ultimately becoming free more and more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It says in Romans 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's another way of kind of putting this scene, of actually walking free from the bondage of sin in our lives. And so my challenge to you guys today is, If you're a believer here, it's actually, how are you doing with the word of God? Because Jesus is very clear. It's his word. He said, this this is what's going to set you free, my words. If you abide in my words, if you live in my words, that's what's going to lead you to freedom. You might have done the initial, well, I've I've decided to follow. I've repented of my sin. But for an ongoing daily walk to one day you see me face to face, how are you going to do that? He says, get into my word. Study my word. Live in my word. Because in your word, you're going to know the truth. You're going to know who you are before God. You're going to know what you've been saved from and what you are now being saved to. The fact that you've been made holy. You've been made righteous. You've been adopted into a family. The past penalty of your sin has been has been laid on Christ and taken away. The power of sin is broken in your life. You do not have to follow that way anymore you are free to make your own choices often we still make bad choices but we're still free to make choices you got saying how are you going to know that you've got to get into the word of God so I tell you how's it going reading your Bible are you reading along with John with the rest of us as we study it and go through it are you getting into God's word do you have another kind of plan to read your Bible because if you don't plan something it's very unlikely to happen what's your plan how are you going to deal with that let's look on the third thing the third thing is um, Jesus is the way to know the Father. The Pharisees, who's having a back and forth with these religious guys, they thought they knew the Father in heaven. They thought they knew God, and they, they, they thought they knew it based on their cultural and racial heritage. They said, "We're our father's Abraham." Kind of, we're, we're Jews, so we've got, we can trace our lineage back to Abraham, the father of our faith. He says we weren't born of sexual immorality, which is a reference to Isaac had two. Oh, uh, sorry. Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac with his wife Sarah, a true-born son. He also had Ishmael with Hagar, um, which was the kind of the the illegitimate child. And they're like, well, we're not descendants there of Ishmael. We're descendants of Isaac. We're we're true-born sons of Abraham, and we can trace our lineage back. And that's what they put their faith in. They had pride in their heritage. But the fact is they didn't have any faith to match because Jesus pointed out Abraham had faith. He was a man of faith. That's what it was about. It's actually said um, the Bible says that Abraham had faith, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Hey, buddy, my son Asher, um, he wanted to come and see me. Um, I, where was I? Faith. Abraham had faith, and so he's, they're saying, "Well, we." You know, we we can trace it back, and he's saying it's not enough. Abraham had faith. You haven't got faith. You're just empty religion. And Jesus puts it bluntly. Some people like to portray Jesus as meek and mild, and you know he would nice. He wouldn't say boo to a goose and all those kind of things. Your father is the devil, the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. That's your daddy. Who's your daddy? The devil. And and you think, oh, that's pretty offensive, you know, that's not nice, is it? That's not polite, that's not PC. And Jesus is referring back to the garden where the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve and everything went wrong kind of from that point. And he's saying, that's your dad. You don't know the Father in heaven, you don't have faith. You're actually following the devil. And Jesus neatly divides humanity into two camps. You're on this side where you know your Father in heaven or you're on this side and your Father is the devil that's it there's no choice there's no middle ground it's one or the other you've got one dad or the other and he's saying you're in your sin and your father is the devil and Jesus has been preaching on this through the gospel when he's saying about there are two kingdoms and to enter one you must be born again he says he said uh, you know Peter said about him where Jesus said to him where are you going to go Peter he says you have the words of eternal life we're following you others that away. we're following you Jesus said that he was the bread of life the first I am you got to come to me if you want life the imagery of water um, that we've seen, um, uh, all that kind of thing. He's he's then he's saying You're one or the other. And you guys, you've got it wrong. They they had empty religion. That's all they had. They had no living faith. It was all empty, dead religion. They they they, they looked the part, they acted the part, they went the right place, they were churchgoers essentially. And they were super churchgoers. They weren't just sporadic churchgoers. They were super kind of there of your weak church goers. They would have prayed. They would have given. But Jesus says, your faith is dead. You've got none. It's empty. And the result, your father is the devil. And Jesus appears and says, Jesus, I know my father. And right at the beginning of the section, they had that little legal discussion where he says, you know, you, you say you're the light of the world. Where's your witnesses? And what they're basically saying is in court, you've got to have a couple of witnesses to prove your claim. And Jesus says, I bear witness and my father bears witness to me. They're the witnesses I bring. I bring myself as God the Son, and I bring God the Father. They're my witnesses. I know my Father in heaven. You don't know him. All you've got is dead, empty religion. And Jesus came that we might have a relationship with our Father in heaven. He came to deal with our sin, but he came to open up that way. Uh, When he taught, his disciples came to him and said, Teach us to pray. What's the first two words he said? Our Father. That's how I'm going to teach you. That's how you're going to relate to God now. You're going to relate to him as a father in life. And we all had earthly fathers. Some of them were good, some not so good. My father is here today. I had a good dad. Some of us had so, so dads. Some of us had not so good dads. But when you get a heavenly father, he's perfect. He's better than all fa- earthly fathers, hands down. And Jesus says, I've come so you may know him, that you may have a relationship with him that way is open so you can have a relationship with your father in heaven and having a relationship with your father in heaven is just the best thing i've recently after years become an earthly dad i have two sons and i just love spending time with them and i love hearing them i love talking to them about what they're doing whenever our eldest levi comes back from nursery i want to know what did you do today what happened you know who did you play with and he's got a list of little friends he plays with now what did you play he seems to play a lot of power rangers but Which he's never watched, but he likes playing that and he likes going out on the scooters. And what have you made today? I just want to hear from him. He came home the other day and he's very excited. He made a little flag that they had to colour in, and it was an England flag. I haven't had the heart to tell him they got knocked out of the World Cup already, but you know, he's like, I made a flag, Daddy, for the World Cup. And I was like, Brilliant. We'll watch the game and we'll wave the flag, and that's wonderful. And as a dad, I want to know my children. I want to have a relationship with them. I want to talk to them. I want to know about their life. And your Heavenly Father wants that more than any earthly father ever could. He wants to relate to you. He wants to know about you. He wants to know about your struggles of what's going on in life. He wants to hear from you. He wants to do that. I've I've instituted rules in our house to help me. I have an office downstairs where I work. And when the boys come in, I've told Levi because he understands. I said, when you come in, Dad, you get a hug. That's the only rule. When you come in and bother me when I'm working the first thing you have to do is give me a hug because that's, that's all I'm interested in. I'm interested in knowing you. So Levi now runs into my room and says, Daddy, hug. And so we gave a hug and then he usually pulls books off my shelves or dives off the sofa or something. But, he, but it's, I want to relate to you. I want to have a relationship with you. Asher's lovely, my youngest, he's two. Um, and he's got this thing now, whenever he's got any kind of bump or hurt or anything, even a mild knock, he comes through with this kind of, <laughs> like this and holds it out, whatever it is, a finger, a hand, an elbow. And I have to kiss it. And once I've kissed it, everything's all right with the world. You know, I'll give him a kiss. And then off he, he goes, everything's like, he'll go off and play. But he comes to me with his hurts and his struggles. And your, your father in heaven is like that. He wants to know the good stuff, what's going on, when it's going well. He wants to know when it's going bad and things are tough. Talk to him. And so my kind of challenge is, are you talking to your father in heaven? Are you, are you making a daily point of just talking to him, telling him how you're doing? He wants to know. There is no, there's no inane conversation with the father in heaven because they're just interested in you. When my boys come to me and just you know tell me just random stuff or you know what they've done. or Levi was very excited the day because he'd built a snail farm in the back garden with stones and snails. I feared for the snails. I feared for the snails. And he said, Daddy, I've got some snails in a snail farm. I'm like, "What? show me?" And we went out and learned and he'd built this little thing. But it was just your father just wants to know what's going on, and, and he's God, and he knows anyway, but he wants to hear from you. And so I tell you, are you speaking to him? If you're not sure even how to start with prayer, the Lord's Prayer is a model that Jesus gave to us. How do you start? You start with our Father. And there are other things that we can ask for because we always need things to ask for and, and how to pray. But start with our Father. Talk to your Father in heaven. All right, last one. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. When he said he was the light, he is the light. Not a light, one of many lights, or necessarily even the biggest light. He is the light of the world. There was no other. All his claims pointed to himself. He was unique in his teaching that he actually pointed everything back to him. I am, he said. I am, fill in the blanks. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. Everything came back to him. You've got to know me. You've got to understand with me. And he claimed that if you knew him, he says, you wouldn't even taste death. It says in verse 61, at the end there, it says, you're not even going to see death. You won't even taste death. And the reference isn't to actually a physical death. It's actually to the spiritual eternal death where we face the wrath of God for eternity. The Bible calls that hell, which is a horrific prospect. And it said, if you know me, you're not going to have to deal with that. You're not going to have to deal with I am the only way. And it, that last section, he, he uses the phrase truly, truly, which we've seen turn up quite a few times in John about basically it's underlying the importance and the truth of the statement. That truly just, we translate it, it we mean amen. It's like amen, amen. This is important. This is true, what I'm saying. You have to grasp this. And at the end there, he says about, they're arguing about, you don't even know Abraham, you're not old enough. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. What he's referring back to is when God revealed himself to Moses back at the burning bush, which we mentioned. And, and God says, uh, Moses says to God, well, if I go and talk to Pharaoh, who sent, who sent me? <laughs> And, and God replies, I am sent me. Hey buddy. That's all right. He just he wanted to come and show his dad this. You know, that's what it's like. Talk to your father in heaven. <laughs> he wants that now, doesn't he? Just want to say, okay. Yeah, that's right. Just say so you no, know, he was up at five this morning. I'm just saying that out loud, so if we're a bit like that, that's why. Um, I am. God reveals And so when Jesus says to those good Jews, before Abraham was, I am, he is making a direct claim to divinity. Some people say Jesus never claimed he was God. Yes, he did. <laughs> there it is. Before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming, God, I'm the only way. I'm not a way. I am it. You have to come to me. And that brings opposition. What do they say to him? They attack his heritage. You're a Samaritan, which is one of the worst racial slurs that you could put on a good Jew. Good Jewish man you're a Samaritan you're one of those half-breed polluted pagan neighbours we have that we don't even want to talk about when we preached for chapter 4 we talked about the Samaritans and what they were like and the disagreement it was, it was, it was deep-seated and it was, it was full of them and they hated each other and the Jews hated the Samaritan and they, they attack his, his racial heritage you're just you're a Samaritan you are for making this claim. and then they attack his sanity you have a demon they said they couldn't cope with what he was saying what do we do well let's Let's hurl abuse at him. Let's just claim he's mad, these stupid things he's saying. You've got a demon. And then finally they just threaten to kill him, pick up the stones. You know, they're they're trying to kill this guy. They want to kill him for what he's saying. And the reality is the world doesn't like to be told it's wrong. The world doesn't like to have kind of its ideas pulled down and challenged. And when you stand up and say, Jesus is the only way, it's not politically correct. It's not safe. In one sense, it's not polite, but it is completely loving, because it's the truth, and you tell them the truth in love. And the response towards Jesus is the response that we will face when we proclaim the truth. That's that's it. Jesus says, if I, you know, they persecute me, boy, they're going to persecute you. You know, they came after me for what I said. You're my followers. The same will happen to you. And when we proclaim the truth and we stand strong, we're going to receive opposition. And we stand up and say, Jesus is the only way. There is no other. He's not one of many. It's not a pick and mix. You can't choose what you like best and take a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that, mix it together and you have your own way of living life. You, weigh, you live Jesus' way because that's what he said. He's God. He's the only one with authority in there. And my charge to us as a church is um, be ready for opposition. Be ready for opposition. I know when we preach the gospel, there's loads of good things happen. We've heard many stories of of people over the last few weeks of they've just shared with friends and colleagues and neighbours and God's done incredible things. They've prayed for them and seen them healed and that is all wonderful. We pursue that with with great vigour and great gusto. But at the same time, the opposition is coming. There will be kickback. There will be times when people will just hate you and say things about you just because you love Jesus and you stand up for him. And that's something that we need to be ready for as a church and the people of God. Let me bring conclusion to all that. The world is a dark place, but never fear, we have light. We have the light of the world shining. And Jesus made that claim. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the only place you can find freedom. I'm the only place you can find life. I'm the only place you can find hope and purpose. I'm the only place you can find forgiveness for your sins. And that light shines in us as believers, as followers of Jesus. Because it actually says in the Sermon on the and it says, you are the light of the world. You're my followers. You carry that out. Paul says in the Philippians, you will shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation you're the ones who carry that out of us and we have an uncompromising message to bring to the world it's a loving message and a gracious message but we must be uncompromising and it all points back to jesus when in doubt talk about jesus when in doubt when anyone says and you're not sure just talk about jesus point back to the light and say it's all about him because only in him do we find freedom do we hide hope do we get to know our father in heaven we get to live a life that honors him and hopefully leads others to the same place. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand? The band come ready. We're going to have a bit of a time of worship now. I'll blow that out, actually. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the light of the world. <laughs> thank you. You are the light that shines in the darkness, Lord. And I thank you that you've revealed that to us. Not because we were smarter or better or you know than anyone else. But just in your grace and your mercy and your love, you showed it to us. And Lord, we thank you that you make this call, that anyone can come to you. They don't have to walk in darkness, they can come to you, Lord. And I thank you that through you we have a way open to eternity with you in heaven. Lord, I thank you that we can know freedom from sin, from the consequences of sin, from its hold on our own lives. Ultimately, the presence of sin will be gone when we're with you forever. Lord God, we thank you that through you we can know our Father in heaven. What a wonderful privilege that that is, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you're the only way. We don't have to worry about another. We've staked our claim with the one true God who's called us into relationship to him and a great purpose. We thank you we're part of your church, your bride. That will last throughout eternity, Lord. We want to say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, Amen.